You're listening to The Comedy Cellar, live from the table, on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to The Comedy Cellar Show here on The Back Table of Comedy Cellar. My name is Noam Dwarman. As always, I'm joined by... Mr. Dan Natterman. Hello, Daniel. How do you do? And uh, we have uh, some pretty fantastic guests tonight. Jim Norton is a New York City-based stand-up comedian. He may be seen performing regularly at the Comedy Cellar. His new stand-up comedy special, Contextually Inadequate, is available on his website, jimnorton.com. No, my new one is uh, Mouthful of Shame. It's on Netflix. That's an old <laughs> oh one. Who wrote that up? Uh, she did. Oh, no, you missed You missed one. You but, missed a special. You can- but, but you can still see contextually <laughs> inadequate. Yes, you can. At yes. jimnorton.com. You can. Uh, All right, Perry. Uh, you can good. binge watch both specials. Stephen Calabria <laughs> wouldn't have made a mistake like that. Anyway, and uh, our guest of honor is Anthony Cumia, is the co-host of the wildly popular Anthony Cumia show on compoundmedia.com, though he is most well-known for his legendary Opie and Anthony show. His book, Permanently Suspended, is available now. Thank you, Noam. Welcome, Anthony. So, so let's get right to it. I, Keith uh, said you'd be available to to join us, and I said, "Is it no holds barred?" Oh yeah, and, uh, obviously. And yeah. He, he did say it was no holds barred. So let let's just start yeah. with the the incident. I'll, I'll just preface. Just don't it. talk about race or profanity. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, um, actually, I'm just gonna let you start. So you you want to you want to recount the incident that that. Uh, Oh, that, uh, that, that spelt my demise on satellite radio. Yeah, so then we can talk about it because it's, yeah, I, everybody yeah. wants to know. I, I was uh, I was out one evening uh, in Times Square. I had a brand new uh, Canon camera with a giant lens on it, and uh, Times Square is just an amazing place to take pictures at 4 a.m. It still looks like the city, but no one's in the streets. So I was snapping a bunch of pictures, and uh, a woman was in frame. Of uh, you know how they have the scaffolding set up on the sidewalks, and yeah. it was a great long shot through scaffolding with the lights and the buildings. So I'm snapping that, and she's walking through it, and she hears because the cannon's pretty loud. It's you know a reflex camera, so she turns around and goes, "Oh no, you ain't taking pictures of me." So I was like, "I'm not. I'm taking pictures of this." She goes, "Don't take," and she, she runs toward me, and. Uh, wanted me to delete. I guess she thought it was a digital picture, uh, and she wanted me to delete it. Uh, and I said no. Uh, she threw some racial epithets. She was a black woman. She threw some racial epithets at me. Like what? A cracker, white motherfucker. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Which I am. I am white. Fits. I am. A, uh, I am a motherfucker. I am part Sicilian, so I don't know how that white thing fits in. You know, the Moors did so much. Uh, so it became physical. She smacked me in the face. I was trying to protect my camera and myself from being hit. Uh, I walked away from the situation. It, it got heated uh, at the moment. I didn't know quite what to do. I am a, uh, a Second Amendment person. I, I had all the legality to carry a, a weapon in New York City, which I had on me, but never, ever even had an inkling of using it or anything. I didn't feel like my life was ever in danger. It was just an annoying thing that happened to me. I was being assaulted by somebody for absolutely no reason. I then walked away from the situation, went to my apartment. Let me and tell you, did she hit you? Yes. Smacked me in the uh, ear, open-handed, left a, a nice ringing for a while, and then uh, smacked me in the face a few times. Wow. Uh, yeah. I don't know who this was, where she was coming from, what she was doing. She was very nicely dressed in a tight black dress kind of a thing. But I have no idea where she came from or why she was uh, that angry that I was uh, taking pictures. And she might be in frame in New York City. Times Square, by the way, a little trivia. The most photographed place in the world. Hmm. So it's not like I was doing anything completely out of the ordinary. But I'll go into the rest of it. I went to uh, my apartment. I have an apartment here in New York City. And I figured the best way to get through this anger that I had was to tweet about it. So I went on and... and now, had you been drinking? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It's 4 a.m. What, what the fuck <laughs> am I doing out? Wait, Who takes I pictures of scaffolding sober? Were you and Artie Lang were totally sober. <laughs> you, you were significantly drunk over the legal limit? No, but, no, no. I had had a few drinks. I, I was doing all right, but the pictures were in focus, I think. Uh, <laughs> so it wasn't. Yeah, I went, I went to my apartment. I figured uh, I would tweet about it. And I had tweeted... A lot of just over-the-top stuff over the years. I had done it on the ONA show. People knew my type of uh, diatribe and humor. A lot of it was under the context of being funny and outrageous and, and what have you. And it did involve sex and race and cultures and whatever. Uh, and I had done that and made a, a damn good living off of it for many years. Uh, I went back to the apartment. My biggest mistake, as I see it today and uh, in reflection, was to try to add some type of social commentary to my being angry. It's not a good time to try to rationally spell out uh, problems that I saw in society while you had just minutes earlier been assaulted and you'd had some, some drinks in you. So I did tweet things that I probably should not have tweeted. Uh, I think they obviously were insensitive to a larger group of people when I should have been foc focusing on an individual. Right. And But I went off, and I was mad, and, and I was pissed. And I still, to this day, think rightly so I was mad, but I, I displaced that anger and spread it out with a wider brush, well, th and uh, that's right. what got me uh, in, in trouble. Your one tweet in particular, you said that there was a problem of violence in the black community. Is that? Uh... Yeah, I, I did post that. And in some respect, it was nothing more or less than I've heard a lot of clergy law enforcement say that there is a problem that needs to be addressed. And I, I was reiterating that, saying, yeah, there is a problem that needs to be addressed. I would rather have had a conversation with this woman and said, hey, uh, do you want me to delete it? Hey, why is there a problem? What, whatever. But it instantly went to violence. It went to physical violence. And that got me thinking again about a broader issue that there is a problem with I don't think anyone can really deny some of the issues but I could have been a lot more diplomatic a lot more um uh less stereotypical about it I understand well, that so, so let me ask you so yeah. and, and this is what led to um uh my falling out is not the right word where, where you and I kind of, I I cut ties with you for, yeah. for yeah. a number of years because there was one tweet where you said I called her a and then you use like garbage characters like a quotation mark exclamation point whatever but it it spelled out the, the n word right and that to me actually was the only tweet which I felt crossed the line. Mm -hmm. Do you have, any, you have any comment on that tweet like you, you Yeah well again it it was that painting with a wide brush uh but the, uh, was this I, a Liam Neeson type feeling that you no, were having? Not, I don't. I don't no, no, not, not in the sense of wanting to beat the shit no, out no, of somebody's list. I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the sense that that you 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 Liam Neeson described having this rage against all black people because somebody black had done no, something. No, it wasn't to even him. against all black. It was still directed at her at that moment. The 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 use of and again, I I never used the word. No, no. Uh, but everyone kind of. Knew what what I was saying. I mean, if somebody I, said you, I called him a kike because he, and then but he did, they just didn't spell out the word. But you probably no. I say, well, I'm not gonna give him a pass in, for in that. that much trouble. Uh, no, I'm I'm teasing. No, no, question. no. <laughs> no the, the, pro, the problem the problem is <clears throat> when when you are viscerally angry at at being assaulted or or whatever happens, something pretty traumatic happens to somebody. I've never been from the school of thought where you, as a person, have to take it down one notch right. of full anger. I was full anger at that point. So was I going to say things that were unbelievably offensive out of that anger? Yeah, I did. But well, what is it? Because, I mean, believe me, the last thing I ever want to be is holier than now about anything because I, I, I you know, I, I'd forgive anybody almost anything. Mm -hmm. But I'm, so what I'm about to say is just it just happens to be in this case about me. I had like really, really, really bad, horrible fights with like black people, musicians, working whatever it is. I never felt that urge to the N word. What, what, right. What, what do you think? Why I, do you think that is? I why do you think that you feel it? Well, it was. I've had plenty of bad experiences with with black people, white people, what have you. And with black people, I've never thought of using that word under that. But with the assault part of it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get that out of my my head at that moment. 
It's just that was the I, limit. That was the line. It wasn't. It wasn't somebody bumping into me. It wasn't looking and having, uh, uh, being offended by something someone said. That would do. It was the. That was my limit. Being physically assaulted, for nothing. That made me go to ten or in Spinal Tap eleven. Do, do, do you think that 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 tweet crossed the line? Um, at the time, I did not think it did. Now, now like I said, I could have and should have done things differently. Of course, yeah, yeah. Because, and do you think do you think if you would apologized at the time for say, listen, I was mad. I, see, the stuff about violence in the black community. I mean, this is it's maybe may considered politically incorrect, but you could you could justify it factually and, and otherwise. But a, a racial slur is a racial slur. Do, did you do you regret not apologizing for that? Uh, and again, at the time, no, because, and another thing was, we had been in a time where this was happening on a daily basis to other people. A whole bit on the ONA show, and the lovely and talented Mr. James Norton can attest to this, <laughs> we were talking about the bullshit apology. Right. And that is, whenever something would happen, someone said something, the very next day, suddenly, amazing, they got caught or in trouble for it. And immediately, for some reason, they feel differently. Yeah. They think completely differently. They would never have said that. And they apologize from the bottom of their heart. Yeah. It's dishonest. It's self-serving. It's nothing but trying to hold on it's a hostage video. to their job. It's a hostage video. Yeah, yeah. they have yeah. the newspaper, the guns to their head. And but that doesn't mean one can never actually sincerely be sorry about something. You know? Yeah, maybe after some real thought could be done, but that knee-jerk next-day apology is always bullshit. I will always say that's bullshit. If you get time to think about it, but that's just it. No one gives people time to really reflect on what they said and what they meant. They need an apology the next goddamn day or you're out. And sometimes you even apologize and you're out. Megan so, Kelly apologized. They still fired her. Yeah, they still fired her. It's usually it, written by lawyers, too. Those yeah, yeah, the apology is such crap. So I don't believe that we've ever heard a sincerely... Uh, a sincere apology from from people when they get jammed up like like I did, uh, but if given the time to reflect on it and really think and and I think time had a lot uh, to do with how I feel about it because I was kind of at the beginning of this whole thing if you want to call it uh, political correctness if you want to call it an awakening uh, whatever it is uh, I didn't see that it was that big a deal at the time. And as, as the years now have gone on and we've seen more people uh, confronted with this, I have a better understanding of what it's all about. So I, I can't even be dishonest in saying that I don't think there is a self-serve, there isn't a self-serving part of it. There is. Right. I think with everyone that apologizes, they're just trying to hold on. Look at this goddamn guy in Virginia. I mean, he's tap dancing, scrambling his ass off, trying to figure out how not to lose his job. Right. Uh, what do they call slaves? Uh, employees? Indeed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm> a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those situations though where there's a, a sense of survival and self-preservation in what you're saying, but if you give enough time to it, you get an actual understanding of things, and you're able to more accurately reflect uh, on on what had happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe if, if you gave truth serum to that guy Northrum, uh, he would you would find that he would say. I didn't have any bad intention at all. It was a time I saw people, you know, and and I just did it. It was a, and um, he's not really sorry because yeah, I don't think he is. But but how can you be sorry for something that you didn't think was wrong with it? But he's going to apologize. But but in your situation, if you look back at it and say no, actually, I, in in anger, I attacked somebody for their color instead of for who they were, and that's not something that yeah. anybody's proud of. Right. So maybe the apology would, would be more easy in that situation. I, I, there was, yeah, but it is difficult at the time. Yeah. And and um, may, maybe it is a kind of a testament to how imperfect, and Jimmy can attest to this too, uh, imperfect a person I am. We all I disagree. Are. We, we all are. <laughs> With the person part. <laughs> now, I, I like it's that. so I, difficult, though, to do. It is not an easy thing to do the right thing at times. You really do want to just lash out. I'm a very emotional person that I don't think uh, a lot of people really grasp that, but I am. I I, um, I, I tend to go off uh, the top of my head, and I think that's helped me in entertainment and comedy especially. 
uh, to just throw stuff out there without thinking of it. But other aspects of your life, it can be detrimental. Are you carrying at this time? <laughs> no, I will even say no. Keith is. <laughs> I am. Yeah. 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 When I walk around with Keith, I don't have to carry. Now, you have to, just really quickly with regard to that, if somebody attacks you, you have to, in New York State, you have to run away if you can, right? That's that, the, and that's something an armed person wants to do. Like a real person that has a, a responsible a person that has a, a license to carry a firearm will do everything in their power to get away from the situation, especially in a state like New York where you are held liable if you don't try to escape. There's a, a laws that say you need to retreat. You can't stand your ground law. No, stand your ground is Florida and uh, some other uh, states uh, where they say if you're attacked, you go go for it. New York, in New York, even in your own house in, in certain counties um, and the city of New York, you have a responsibility to, even in your house, continue to retreat if it's available to you. So, And, and you could be uh, charged with at, at least um, uh, manslaughter. But you know, um, dead men tell no tales. That is true. <laughs> I, I remember hearing the story as a kid all the time. It's like, if you got to shoot someone out in your yard, make sure you throw them through the window after you're done. Cause that, it's like, yeah, I've watched enough forensic files. I don't think that'll work. Why is there this pool of blood on your lawn? And then, yeah. So now, so now, Jim, you you were a partner on the show at the time. It was yes. called Opie and Anthony, but really, Jim was it and was, partners was, in life. It was it was it was really a three man operation. Yes, correct? it I mean, was. And, and and so, what were you feeling about this at the time? Uh, when it happened, it was awful. I, I, I my ex girlfriend called me. And, his uh, first call was to his accountant. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I'm like, hey, Lathy, get me a little raise. It doesn't look good. <laughs> no, my ex-girlfriend called me, and she goes, what happened with Anthony? I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, he got beat up by some Quotes lady? Quotes on girl for girlfriend, <laughs> oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, she called me, she fucked my mouth, and then we laughed about it. <laughs> so no, I wound up, uh, I, got a, I actually got a call from Hannity. Uh, he called me, I was at Bob Kelly's house, and Sean Hannity called me. And he goes, what the fuck is Anthony doing? This was like the second day. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, man. He's having, because I think you and I had spoken. And he goes, give me his number. He's got to take that stuff down. He's got to take that stuff down. So Hannity, that's why he called you. He called me to get your number. And, um, you know, I, I guess you took them down. Yeah. But by then, Sirius had kind of made their decision. Yeah, that's how bad it got. Sean Hannity called me to tell me to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Did, so were you, were you angry? You felt let down? Did you try to get him to apologize? And, no, and if I'm I crying, mean, don't... Tell me what you want. I'm, try, I'm Dude, trying to ask what I think would be... I just be, talked about I'd my face to... getting fucked. And <laughs> I'm crying. No, I was like, if, if I was hearing this interview, these are, these are things I've always been Anything wondering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I was frustrated because, like, I love Anthony, and I just knew that it was over. I knew, like I, you, you, as the days went on, you just we had a vacation there, so they had plenty of time to think about it. We could, yeah. I think, we were on Fourth of July vacation, so it was uh, a very hard because I just knew that this amazing thing we were doing was done, and, I, and that was the frustrating part was knowing that this uh, this comedic collaboration, like uh, you'll never communicate with a funnier person in your career than you have been for the last ten years. So I was kind of looking at it from that point of view, of this <clears throat> this. Amazing back and forth, which was really, I mean, it was fun every day, mm. was done. And that was the hard part of it. Besides, so, I knew my friend was out of a gig, so when he got oh, his, There was that, yeah. I know, but I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was, but I thought I was going to get fired, too. Me, like, yeah. me, me. Oh, yeah, him. <laughs> me, me. <laughs> but, you, but you really think that you're going to get fired, too. I didn't, I didn't expect Opie and I to carry on, which we did. Um, and we shouldn't have. That was a great 10 minutes. It really was. <laughs> but you guys didn't get along, is that it? Or No. I mean, we did it first. We tried. But again, you're just trying to pay your bills. And like, I, I, what am I going to do? It's a gig. Uh, but after a while, I just realized that we just didn't want to work together at all. It was like the Connors after us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. So uh, we wound up not liking each other at all. We haven't spoken in over two years. Well, you did get along well. Well, you were all three of you together. It's just when well, it was one on one that you didn't like. At each one other. point, we stopped getting along. Then you know, me and Anthony always clicked and got along. It was so much easier to to walk into that studio every morning and know Jimmy was there because I knew it was going to be four hours of us laughing our asses off about whatever, and uh, Opie being there as sort of the technical producer of the show. Push the buttons, go into spots, tell us when we need to uh, break, whatever it, it was. But it was always me and Jimmy walking in there after Jimmy got on board. And that was literally three or four years after the ONA show started in Boston. So most of the ONA show was Anthony and Jimmy and Opie kind of there to, as they always say, I hate to steer the ship 
like the fucking white star captain on the Titanic. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, me and Jimmy always, every time I walked in there, I knew I was going to be having just a great time. And regardless of what mood Opie was in, we were still going to have fun. Wait, there's things online. I can't listen to the old bits. I can't listen to Patrice on the show. It's just too difficult. I like his new shit. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> the post-2012 shit is awesome. First time I've been able to finish a conversation with him. <laughs> it's just a red light over his coffin. <laughs> Get off, stupid. <laughs> I, uh, this thing's called the Jim Norton Laugh Compilations online. Mm. And it's things fans have done. And all it is is bits that I'm laughing at and it's all shit he said. So I'll go back and listen to that stuff because I'm literally just listening to him being funny You're in the again. Audience, yeah. yeah, we so would I'm still cry, like crying, laughing at stuff that was so like just funny as in a way that I've never been able to laugh with anybody else but Jimmy. Like there's a a, a, a common humor there that uh, some people wouldn't find funny. Um, Dan and I don't have that when, at all. When, when, no, no, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, a, it's a shared lack of humanity. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure Dan doesn't have that who appeared in a pedophile bit that Jimmy did. Oh, that's right. With yeah. myself, by the way. That so, is, is that, that still was, up there? Has that been mercifully? Was, <laughs> so so, so I, I got one more question that I, that I want to ask oh, before Jim leaves. Um, so you're in a club now of um, a, a, a group of prominent people who some, some deserved it, some maybe didn't deserve it at all, uh, who've been kind of slimed. And yeah. how do you do? You think can you ever get unslimed? Do you, is there some, how do you carry that with you? How, what, what, it's you? Uh, it, it's tough at times. You 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 feel like uh, you want to blame somebody, but there's no one out there. And then maybe you have to be a little reflective and go, oh boy, if I can't find someone to blame, perhaps the man in the mirror. That guy from the Gillette commercial saying he could be a better man. Oof. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, no, it, it's, it's one of those things where you, you kind of have this uh, self-guilt uh, 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 for, for doing that. Um, but it also gives you an opportunity to move forward. I always said, like, if I didn't get fired when I did, I'd have been fired five more times after that. It's just the way I like to express myself, and I am. Uh, perhaps not for the same thing, but I think, especially in this day and age, you have to tiptoe around a minefield of things that you can't even address or talk about. The jokes, a lot of that jokes that we were doing, even at one point, we, we, we were just talking about that before, would have gotten yeah. us. We never would have been able to do half of the stuff we did in the 10 years would have gotten us fired after 20 years. Yeah, there were things about, uh, I, I think some of the hardest I ever laughed was one of the most tragic events. It was the uh, Lacey Peterson murder. And, and we... Because we were shock jobs. Jim is laughing now just thinking about the, it. it. It was the barbarism of the jokes. They were horrible. They were horrible. There's a part of humor I don't think people can really contextualize that it's so evil and so mean-spirited that it becomes funny because a human being wouldn't say this stuff. And that in some way, and I don't know where it comes from in our own humanity, is a funny thing. I don't know if it's nervousness, uncomfortability. But there's this humor in the macabre. Well, it's also the the the, the um, you know the the extreme horrific nature of people is pretty funny. <laughs> it I is. mean, T Ted Bundy, you know, Ted or Dahmer eating people. If you can't find humor in that, <laughs> sure. But, but of course, but, Louis got in trouble for exactly this with the Parkland jokes. Right. right. What did you think? And yet, no one had a problem with the four-part Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix. It's nonsense. The comedian upset me, but I listened to the guy that raped and murdered a 12-year-old and smothered her in the he mud. He was handsome and charming, Jimmy. Oh, that Ted, what a dish. <laughs> they can't stop talking about how fucking handsome Ted yeah. Bundy Scott, is. Was it Scott Peterson? Him, too. He was getting... He was getting Scott Peterson. Yeah. So that's the bullshit. That looked uh, gorgeous. What a doll. Louis' uh, jokes, yeah, they were tasteless, but Louis would tell you they were tasteless. But the fact that he had to deal with that out... The New York Times is not writing about why is there a Ted Bundy documentary. They're not writing about it in the Washington Post or in the L.A. Times, but they were all so angry at Louis for tasteless jokes. Yeah. Fuck them. No one's mad at Zac Efron. And I'm not talking about the families of the victims. They, Of course, they feel differently. But I'm talking about the press. No one's going to give Zac Efron shit, and he's going to play Ted Bundy accurately. Another dish. Yeah, but you know what I mean? He's going he's gonna show, to yeah. show a rapist being a rapist, and he's going to get praised for that. But if you make fun of uh, somebody getting shot, you're a bad guy. I don't think Silly. he was, though. Enough. People don't really... I go on stage. Go oh, ahead, Jim. Okay, Jimmy. Look, braggart. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. I don't think people take into consideration the context of what they're 
people are saying and talking about. So when Louis said uh, uh, did a bit that involved the Parkland students, he got in big trouble for it because it's like all of a sudden the headline is Louis makes fun of school shooting. Now Louis was saying he was talking about the kids that became the spokespeople for the shooting. Now he was making fun of them. It could sound like semantics. It could sound like you're just trying to make excuses. But no, this is what it was. He didn't say a shooting was funny. He said these kids that become spokespeople are stupid and shut the fuck up. Now, regardless of how you feel about that, there are levels of it. He's not going, ha-ha, kids were killed. He's saying, shut the fuck up. You're a dopey kid. I was one once, and I didn't know shit, so you probably don't either. I get that joke, and I don't think it's joking about a school shooting. Yeah, I, I think the most Doug. controversial part of that joke was when he said that they pushed a fat kid in front of them. Yes, that was a... Uh, because, well, some people perceive that as an accusation, <laughs> but it wasn't a serious accusation. It was just... No. A, it was a, it was an absurdist comment. Again, absurdist. It was absurdist, yes. and and it did elicit a, a chuckle out of me, I must say. Although, though Noam, I think, felt differently about That's that. That's always been a joke with plane crashes, a fat person in the emergency exit. This has been a joke over the years that has been used. And he used it in the context of a school shooting. Uh, still, not making fun of the shooting itself. Again, am I just juggling with semantics here? I don't think so personally. Well, the the audience uh, seemed to be laughing. I mean, the, uh, dude, Louis could get up in front of a crowd and they will howl laughing at him. And, and the more he mentions his controversies, the more they laugh. Right, but, but, and what I'm saying is that some, you know, it, it's difficult. To, I, I made this analogy afterwards. Like if you took a recording of me having hot sex, and, and an audio recording, and then put it and played it for me during my morning coffee, like what the fuck is that? It sounded like a crazy person. <laughs> That's good. But yes. at, at the yeah. time, in context, yeah, right. it was perfectly yeah. appropriate. Oh, you know? uh, context is big. Context <laughs> is everything. So like you know, you're, listen, you're listening to something that sounds harsh of an audio recording of a comedy club late at night drinking all that stuff. It's like it's like, but yeah. it's, at yes. the time, it yes. didn't sound that way. It didn't sound like a crazy person screaming. You know? Ano another thing yeah. is this. It's unreasonable to make an assessment without that context. Yes, you need that context. You gotta have it. Another thing is a comedy uh, a comedian working out bits is not supposed to be recorded and played as a thing think of like yeah. uh, uh, you get these uh, cooking shows where you got a yeah. chef and he's doing stuff and then someone pulls his thing out half cooked out of the oven and goes ew this sucks that's what you're judging he's not done yet comedians I think more than anyone else need that latitude to offend people to, to say things that are way off base and then pull it back when they see the reaction, because the only way you can get an honest assessment of what you're doing is based on that crowd reaction. If you're being judged on that, yeah. and now comedians are afraid to put it out there, you are going to get such watered-down bullshit. Can I, can I give you an analogy? Please. I, I, I just I, I said somebody uh, yesterday. So, like, if I drew a line on the floor here, and I said, I want you to walk right up to the edge of that line but not cross it, you would walk at, right up to the edge of the line, and you might fall over it. Now, if I said the same thing about the edge of a cliff, you might not get within a foot of that cliff. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but that's that a good point. Foot, oh, that's the danger factor. That's where all the good stuff happens. Generally, so if you're yes, going to put yeah. a cliff where there just used to be a line, you lose your career, that's whatever it is, analogy. you're going to yeah. lose everything. You're going to yeah. lose the entire right. foot of the most important, yeah. interesting shit. Yeah. And that's what's happening now, not just in comedy, everywhere. Yeah. Where people say, I'm not walking, because if I, if I, I don't have, there's no yeah. margin for error. No, to get I'm near the line. Off the cliff. No, if it's too yeah. risky to get near the line, then you get won't get it. the gold associated with getting right. near now, the line. Fortunately, and what does that do to the culture? And what are the systemic effects of that kind of Fortunately, uh, yes. Fortunately, most comedians are hacks anyway, and they're not going to get anywhere near <laughs> <laughs> uh, Your average comedian has no desire to <laughs> say, get within yeah. 100 miles of any line. Yeah. Comedians but, need... But for those, few, for those few brave souls... That dare yeah. to approach that line or cliff as it's becoming, and those are the people that generally drive the, the drive the art form forward, so to speak. Yeah. Like the progressive nature of anything is that the change comes from the fringe. It can it comes through or by way of the edge. If I, you don't know where that line is, that people will revolt and go like, "Oh my God!" So you could pull it back. But, then yeah. you're never going to get. Very close to but it. But actually, I just want to, yeah. I want to revise slightly what I said. Um, I think a lot of great comedians don't go near that line. I think 
Brian so Regan, different oh, yeah. comedy. Yeah. The uh, I think different kind uh, of comedy. David did you say Taylor. Ryan Reese? No, I did. I say Ryan Reese. You said Brian Reese. I said Brian, Brian Regan. <laughs> I, I mean, not you know, a lot of people are saying now it's a com- comedian's job to uh, challenge uh, conventional norms yeah, and certain types. And, certain and, types and of it comedy. can be, but you can also just be. Uh, Take my know, wife, please. Take my wife. Well, I wouldn't, you know, necessarily go that far, but but uh, you know, Ryan Hamilton or or. Uh, Gilbert Garfield, who I love, but although he he's been it's a good point that people that, that there are comics out there operating at a high level that don't necessarily need to get near that line, but it's not apropos Gaffigan, of the Gaffigan discussion. Doesn't get near yeah, the line. but it's not yeah, apropos Gaffigan. of the discussion. The discussion is what do we lose yeah. in a culture that doesn't allow you to get near the but line? It's not who just do we comedy. Lose? You know yeah, what it is too? Pa- like Pavarotti and Axl Rose, both considered singers, but yeah. you would never put them in the same category. Why do comics have to? follow this thing where it's like, well, you're, you're a comic, this generic kind of thing. There are comics that really do challenge the norm and, and go out there and push those limits. And I think they're doing a, a great service uh, to society. But they're not giving being given the context they deserve. And they're being treated like they were a doctor or a lawyer or a politician. To extend that analogy, what would happen if Copernicus were afraid to go near wait, the wait, line wait, who's the Catholic Copernicus? Church? Copernicus, I mean, you the, know, the, Copernicus, the, the, the world, babe. <laughs> no, no. The, the, we, I mean, how how much longer would we have thought that the world were flat if he was right. afraid to continue to make an argument? Go online. There were still people. Was the Copernicus the flat Earth guy? Or was that Galileo? Uh, I think Copernicus was the, the telescope Earth, Earth who was revolved the Earth around flat? the. Or Earth revolves around the sun. Either way, the flat Earth guy. (laughs) No, no, it's a good point. But either way, (laughs) either way, the point being that there is there's a truth that was brought about in the face of a culture that didn't want that truth brought about. You're right. It was probably that we circle the sun as opposed to everything that circles us, right? That was Copernicus. It was either that or it was either that or. more than two fingers is probably his penis. So that was a tell. <laughs> that was actually David. That was David Tell. But here's the thing about com- here's the thing about comedy is it's the only art form also where you're expected to perform for whoever the fuck is sitting there. Oh, what a great you, you point! You know, too. I mean, you wouldn't if you were a fan of country music, you wouldn't go to see a rap show. You wouldn't right. go to see um, heavy metal. But, but comedy, but it- whoever sit, whoever's coming here to the comedy cellar. We have to entertain them, so we have to yeah, be like a little a prostitute. Yeah, you take you take it as but they if, come. But if you have a crowd of people that is very diverse in their ideology, and you're a comic that's up on stage, and they are all laughing, isn't that just funny? Can you then take what the comic's saying and bash it and say that it's inappropriate when you actually have a crowd of people that don't have much in common with each other laughing at that one commonality? You can't then say, "Well, that's terrible." It, it, it's it's a universal thing that now is making people that uh, don't really uh, share an ideology laugh together. What you're saying is it's not off base necessarily if it's funny. Meaning if you can get right. everybody it is. absorbed in the story. Then it's just funny. It's so just go fuck funny. yourself when well, it comes to uh, ideology or how bad it makes someone feel or, or anything else. Yeah. It's funny and it's been tested litmus tested through an audience that really doesn't have much it's in common. either balanced enough or absurd enough regardless right. of how risky the material is that everybody from all four points of the room is laughing find it funny how bad could Although, it be well right. also, if you're in t- nassau t- county though the audience is going to be probably less <laughs> diverse than it might be here in manhattan well, I, hey I, I, was, I live there <laughs> oh wait a minute i was going to say that in in louis case is actually they what they came to see louis it was an announced show yeah so really you have a private thing between Louie and the people who okay. like the kind of stuff right. that he says, right. it's none of anybody's business. It's like somebody saying, well, I heard at the comedian table between you and Dan, you do made you this think, a bad joke. Do you joke. think more yeah. people wouldn't go to see, uh, comedy fans in general, just yeah. a general comedy fan, do you think more people would see Louie if they found out he was a mile away or wouldn't see Louie because they're angry with him? A mile away. I think people that just like funny would go see Louie. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think the people that staunchly wouldn't see him are, are a very small minority of people. Well, if you begin screening ideas for for things that may, in theory, hurt someone's feelings at some point, you will remove a lot of any culture, whether it's science, politics, you know, sociology, mm. or math. I mean, whatever you're talking about, how can you can how can you grow in a culture that prevents you from communicating that which you're thinking about or you feeling? You can't. You need everybody needs a margin of error, and that's, you need and, a margin and, of error for God's sake. Yeah. 
All right, what else? Do we what want else? to talk about also... Um, How about this, this, this? Well, Aziz was here the other night, and I just want to... Aziz was here last night. Was he? Well, what about all, it? All of a sudden... No, because I read on uh, Twitter, it was trending. Aziz was on stage talking about uh, his, his sec, the accusations of sexual impropriety right, yeah, a year yeah. ago. And, and, of course, there's always only one winner whenever this kind of stuff happens, and that's Noam Dorman. Because... <laughs> Because the comedy seller once again gets a tsunami of publicity because oh that took God. place here. So in every article, it says the village underground of the comedy seller. So what Noam has done to deserve God's blessing, I don't know. Because <laughs> he doesn't even believe in God, and yet God sees fit. God sees fit to, to bestow upon to throw him, him publicity. such generosity. <laughs> it reminds me of that. that it was in no time, this philosopher who was dying on his deathbed riddled with cancer. This is a true story. He had his close people around him yes. and he says he says why is God punishing me this way is it because I don't believe in him so apparently as he's talked about it, it said uh, he's learned a lot and he's grown from the experience I don't know if you saw it or were there interesting I, when, I, I, when I read that I thought they had publicized a lousy date like it, to me, that wasn't yes. really That's any exactly type of what it was. harassment or anything. It was a lousy day. If 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 he's a bad guy to go out with one night. The news uh, is I wanted head and wasn't interested <laughs> in a long term relationship. That's the fucking news now. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to my dating life pre forty five years old. That's the story of my life. I want head, but maybe I don't want to take it that much further. Yeah. Boy, is that why they cast you? Is that dude on Crashing? Right? Watch Crashing this week, Dove. Is, uh, apparently, he, who yeah. has such a range, an acting <laughs> range? <laughs> range. He had such a range. Yeah. He was playing Nick yeah. Dice DiPaolo. Yeah, yeah. Dice DiPaolo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't see the episode. Hey, yeah. Dove plays a dude, who, uh, a, a yeah. creepy comedian who tries to bang a waitress. And then the waitress, the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, so I he plays I, Every comic. I want, I'm on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm on Crashy, but they don't give me the media. I'd like a nice media role. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. I'm hoping yeah. if there's a season four that maybe I can. You know spread my wings You're as an that actor. Constant background character. Yeah, I'm at the table. Oh, like, like they had, they had the sweat hogs in the front, <laughs> and then they had hot Tatsy in the yeah. back. The red yeah, I'm girl. like the guy. Or in Cheers, like that guy Al. They right, had one line every five seasons. Right, right. Hey, hey, Diane, looking good. <laughs> I, but I, I don't get to be, uh, b you know, normal. You got, or you got to yell, Norm. Yes. When they all came. I was, I, one of the I, was, I was trying to be comedic, but the idea that that can become news, a scenario where yeah. it, we're in the, the woman you were with or the man found something you did untoward, um, but not illegal. It wasn't genuine impropriety. The idea that well, that's we don't know the case. what happened, but yeah. Well, we do know what happened from her perspective, and we know what happened from his perspective. And nobody's accusing anybody of any crime. No, or no any, crime, no crime, or any genuine no, sexual no. harassment. Toward, we don't know, but no, I, it I was a consensual, I think, I think it's awkward as fuck yeah, date. Like, okay. That's what it sounds. Can I just yeah. quickly say, Judd Apatow, if you're listening, I'm grateful to anything you give me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to sound ungrateful. No, Judd listens to this because because uh, you know he told me so. <laughs> and if awkward were news, Nadiman would be on the cover of the Times on a weekly basis. Can I ask you guys a, a, well, a question? Well, sexually speaking, hold, hold on. I want to ask a question. Just, just, just a, you, we can go skip right past it if it's not interesting. You know, you want to hear his pickup line to a girl at the bar one time? Yeah. He gave her a piece of gum, and I said, Dan, buy her a drink. And he didn't. And then I bought her a drink. And then he turned to her. I said, You got to talk to her. And he looked at her and he goes, That's a good chew, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Did that he was score? The line. Did he close the deal? Of course he did. He banged her dog style. No eye contact whatsoever. <laughs> Gave her a piece of Wrigley's and didn't pay the, for the cash. The story, the story said, is quite funny, but not entirely accurate. It's accurate. Pretty accurate. The key points are accurate. But it's key funny, are so that's all. That so this, yeah. I'm just curious. So, so that's a good chew. Netflix changed everything by giving us something that we all really wanted, which which was the ability to binge watch. Like yeah. Yet HBO stubbornly refuses to let you binge watch their series that's that's already totally in the can. And I'm wondering why that is. Do they don't make more money when you watch it when it's broadcast. Why don't they like what are they what are they the trying to prove? I guess the numbers count and if you were able to binge watch, you could just never watch HBO again. But yeah, I'm ready you to get rid of to HBO because it's too fucking frustrating. And I'm right. used to like you. Well, that's you, the argument. The they world want has you changed. there every week. I know. I, believe me, I love being able to binge watch. I, There's no commercial. I mean, I'm yeah. not. I, won't, I don't even want yeah. to invest 
in a new HBO series if I know I'm going to have to wait three and a half like, months? It's yeah. like yeah. It's Blockbuster. Yeah. Blockbuster Video didn't read the tea leaves either, and we saw what happened to them. It's like uh, ice cream. If I can just have one, uh, one spoonful a week, uh, just keep your ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, I want the uh, whole fucking pint. You know, you think they might trial and error, you know, I always say is worth 20 IQ points. Why don't you try it with one series? Let them yeah. binge watch one series and see pilot yeah, program sure, and see yeah, how that yeah, works. Yeah. Yeah. That being well, said, decision making. That being said, in the eighties, we loved, you know, we loved our once a week. But maybe we, we, but we had yeah. there was no longer the eighties. There no There's a weird sick. camaraderie that comes with watching something when it's on live, also, and that old school when when you used to have to watch things when it was on. The next day, you'd go into work and all yes, discuss it. Yes, it was a different and it made culture. A buzz. And I we think haven't had that, that around here since your tweets. <laughs> 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 I think that, I think that helps, though. Like, like, I think people talk about it when they see it. Isn't it odd? Like, the Twilight Zone is available, or the Honeymooners. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I could get it on various services. But when the marathon comes on on New Year's Eve or something, I'll watch it then. And if you look at Twitter or other social media yep. or talk to people, they had this common thing where you all watched it together and I think they, that there's some kind of societal uh, bond when we watch these shows at the same time so and then can talk about it on the next day. Natterman once had a really uh, similar uh, insight. Not exactly the same, but I remembered it forever. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, the he's, radio. He's, the radio. You want to want to tell it? Well, it was something like if, if you... You, you said you, you were on a road trip and you made a playlist. Yeah, you made a playlist, but when you heard a song that you didn't know was coming, it was that much more satisfying. You said it was like yes. masturbating. It's not. It's not the same when you have, when you do it yourself. I don't remember having said that. <laughs> yeah, you did. I remember having done <laughs> it. What are, you, it. are we back to Louis? It's again? better when someone else does it for you. Um, no, that's my joke about 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 masturbating that I did on the comedy cell. Right, show. but you said it about the radios. Like when when the when the when the disc jockey plays the songs, it's somehow it's better. Yeah, but I don't recall uh, comparing it to masturbation. Yeah, but in any case, yeah, when you when you didn't expect, expect that song coming, you don't need to dis disassociate yourself from something which was actually funny. By the way, he does this all the time. You heard him try and, try and ruin my. He tried to ruin my. That's a good chew story by saying that. Because I believe really our listeners, our listeners, our listeners uh, want listeners, the truth. They want the. They the, want the truth. They rely on us for the. Truth. They don't need a fucking court transcript. <laughs> they want the general comedic truth. But we got the best of both worlds because you got to laugh when you said you got it. Yeah, you're and then right. I gave no them the problem. truth afterwards. So no all is, problem. All I can't wait to read the no minutes problem. from this podcast. Let's, let's, minutes, yes. let's be proper about the proper radio people. Bye, you, have, you, you, hey, you have a you have a book coming out called Permanently Suspended. It's, it's out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come, Jimmy's back. So tell us about tell us about the book. Permanently well, yeah, the book Permanently Suspended. Uh, obviously, the name comes from my experience with social media uh, and pretty much everything else in life, uh, Sirius XM Satellite Radio, uh, other radio jobs. I am constantly in a state of permanent suspension. Um, uh, it, it details kind of the story of the ONA show, myself uh, and, and Opie having a relationship of 20 years in radio. And, Did you uh, hold anything back? Did you act, were you totally frank no, in this No, I blew it all out. I, I, I put a little bit of my earlier life and how I grew up so people might get an understanding how did you of grow up? how I was. Uh, grow up, grew up uh, born and raised on Long Island until I was about 13. Has he grown 13. up? Yes, has, have I? And then uh, my dad uh, and mom got divorced and my dad moved out to California, so I spent some time out there uh, during my formative early teen years, and it was just a party. Like, my dad was one of the most irresponsible people ever. But he, he, he left New York because he wanted to be a cowboy. Now, is he, is he a guy who uh, had racial attitudes? Would he, would, is, did he, would yeah, he, yeah, he did. He it was, was Italian-American in the 50s. Italian, so. New York, 50s. He grew up. So I, I, I heard a thing or two around the house. Uh, it, it was uh, shocking at times. But that creates wiring sometimes, you know. I, I think it does. I, I think it's a combination of what you learn in your own experiences and, and whatnot uh, that, that kind of mold who you are. But I think parental influence does have a lot to do with a lot of things, you know, um, you know who Anthony, positive and negatively. Anthony is to me. He, he's a kid. He had pleased to play with dolls. He would make, make these little puppets. He was this little creative sweet boy, <laughs> and his father shamed him and <laughs> accused him of being a homosexual accurately. And, uh, <laughs> and he went the other way. No blowjob tonight. <laughs> but I always think of Anthony as that creative little fucking kid He did. Making. Once I made, I made a puppet. I made a marionette mm -hmm. uh, out of uh, paper towels and tape and whatnot. But I hadn't got to the point with the crossed uh, wood and the strings yet. So my dad goes, what is that? And it's like, it's a marionette. He goes, no, it's not. It's a doll. You're not carrying a doll around. With I was like, oh, no. Wow. And my mom was like, Joey, 
don't be ridiculous. It's a puppet. They, it doesn't have strings. It's not. And they got into this ridiculous argument as to what dictates a puppet, a doll, and, and a, a but a marionettist and a, and a guy plays with dolls, so you're either gay or you're a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. uh, my dad would have preferred the serial killer, believe me. <laughs> yeah, so it was, you know, my dad was one of these very macho kind of horses. When we went out to California, it was all about cowboys. And, you know, we, we rode around with guns and hats and cowboy boots and cattle. It was the weirdest thing because it was Santa Monica. <laughs> no, it wasn't. San Juan Capistrano. And, and then you, you had a blue-collar profession for a while? Or, yeah, or, it was uh, a tin knocker, they call it. Air conditioning and heating ductwork uh, installation. And I was the, oh boy, was I the hoot of the job site. <laughs> Always making everybody laugh. Uh, I started getting into radio doing uh, voices on, I would call up from my work van and I'd call Howard's show and do uh, Sam Kinison impressions over the phone and whatnot. Can we hear a little Sam? Yeah, always. I, I would call him and go, Hey, uh, Howard, how you doing, man? Yeah, so I hear uh, Jackie wants to come out to Vegas. Maybe we could do this, uh, you know, uh, Vegas show, you know? If he wants money, though, I, I can't pay. You know, we just go <laughs> into the whole thing because it was like green, green money, he green He does weed. these impersonations. You'd think it was the real person. The real people. <laughs> Janice Ross, he's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> There's an impressionist in your building. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I thought, you know, there would be some way of get my foot in the door of radio and entertainment. Even before I got into uh, radio, I always wanted to be in it. I just always wanted, somehow, it was the greatest job ever. I would go to job sites and not stop listening to Stern until sometimes 11 o'clock when he'd be off, and I'd have to finish the job uh, in a couple of hours when I had the whole day because I could not stop listening to Stern. Uh, that influenced me huge. And then I got the opportunity to go on Opie's show with a few song parodies and whatnot. My brother had given uh, Opie, and he said, can you come in and perform them live? I'm like, yeah, I got my brother, and I was, like, spinning plates and juggling and just doing my best to be like, look, I can do all this. I'm doing impressions and riffing on the news. And he just said, uh, can you come in maybe two days a week at three? And he was recording all these shows that we did, sent it up to a few radio stations. We got a call from Boston. They gave us the job, and I was like, I literally took my toolbox. I had a big toolbox full of tin-knocking tools and threw it out the window at 60 miles an hour on uh, I-95 going up to Boston oh to God. just say, that's it, I'm done with right. that. He was driving in front of Harry Chapin. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. That's an awesome scene in a movie. Yeah, it was one of those things. It was a one-in-a-million shot. I never, and I've, I've thanked Opie in my book for actually giving me that, that chance. I'm, I'm a construction guy. Right. And it's like, hey, be my equal on-air partner here up in Boston. Thank Opie for giving you the chance to be the best thing that ever happened to him. That ever happened to him. Right, right. I made Wait. sure I brought my uh, coat with the longest tails on it. Jim, did you ever have a real gig or a real like career-type job? Oh, prior? wow. That is a little harsh. No, no he's always no. been a piece of shit. <laughs> but, I mean, other than, like he, just, Anthony had an actual career. Yes. Yeah, the Tinman. I, I worked a in... Tinman. Uh, <laughs> do, 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 do. Only he could say Tinman. I was just warehouse work. I was Warehouse worker, uh, forklift driver. Before. Where? Where? Fucking good. <laughs> so, so, wait, so this interests me. So you loved Howard Stern. Yeah. And yeah. then when you finally got there, he treated you badly, right? They, they... Uh, not really. No? To be quite honest, oh, it was another one of these things where Opie had this horrific problem with Howard Stern. And I think it was based on pure jealousy. Uh, Howard was and always will be the, the cornerstone, the, the benchmark of what you could be in radio. And... Opie always had a problem with that. So I had to go along with, like I said, I wasn't going to be slashing Axel. I was pocketing a, a check, a huge check. So I wasn't going to fuck that up. So I'd be like, yeah, fuck him and fuck them. And, and then when we got to Sirius, I'd be in the elevator with Fred or Robin. And it was so cordial, so nice. I met Howard in Atlantic City. We were playing poker at different tables and shook He's hands. He's playing the $5 table. The guy was playing, the, it's, it's in my book, permanently suspended. He's playing literally a dollar. A dollar. I'm sitting there sweating with $100 chips. Like, yeah, how's that Hamptons house doing, you son of a... 
Yeah, because he but it was just for fun. That was it. It was just yeah. yeah he's playing for fun. Yeah. I'm playing for mortgage. You're playing yeah. to make money. Yeah. <laughs> You're playing for but a was... childhood stolen. <laughs> <laughs> By the, the Jimmy Norton Foundation. <laughs> do you do you ever think of do you ever do you ever think of it from the opposite direction that if you had had a show where it was the Anthony Cumia show, yeah, and Jim was Fred Norris, and and uh, do you think you might have been even more successful? You know, if you didn't have not part of an ensemble. Yeah, I think the way I got into it, and pretty late, I was in my mid-30s. It's still an ensemble, I, but, you know, the, the the head of the ensemble. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think because I was in my mid-30s when I first got into it, like Howard was teens or something, you get to work your way up there. I never had the confidence until many years later to even think about doing anything on my on my own. I, I, I had a very... Um, I just wasn't confident in what I did. Even though people told me it was good and they loved it, I thought I needed to be at least second fiddle uh, until I got fired and, and uh, did the Anthony Cumia show. It, it was very difficult for me to have any kind of self-confidence. So I think you have yeah. some of what... I've always thought this because you're a great conversationalist. Not in terms of being funny necessarily, all of it. Just, just you're a great... You can keep a conversation moving. And that's... That's one of Stern's hugest talents. Yeah, in my yeah. Opinion. He's you can just listen to him been talk. Great at that. Yep. You know, he doesn't need to be funny, really. He just Chappelle has that. You can yeah. just listen to Chappelle for you half an hour. You tell a compelling story. It's yeah. it's just fun to do. But uh, I have, yeah, I have to go. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have to go. I have to be somewhere to eat. Okay. So uh, what, uh, well, look at this busy guy. <laughs> I, I wanted to wanted to talk We're briefly about your anyway, anyway, Netflix thing, but okay. Ah, it's, fuck it. It's okay. It's on Netflix. Feel like it, it's uh, <laughs> called uh, about full of shame. Here's the thing I want to say about Anthony. Opie was really great as a teacher. And and, and the, we we work really well firing spitballs like that childish <laughs> yes. while something is happening wow, yeah. just fucking off in the back and that was why I think we functioned so well. But after a while, Opie got a, he was uncomfortable whether he admits it or not, and he wanted to be one of the ones shooting spitballs. And three guys shooting spitballs just doesn't work. Yeah, right? he was yep. amazing when he was comfortable being the teacher though and chiming. He was great because he really knew yeah. How there to was run a little animosity or jealousy yeah. or whatever you want to call it that came later when he started seeing like everybody loving what myself and Jimmy were doing, and then he's just sitting there kind of being the ringleader or being the guy that had to stop it because we had to go to commercial. He felt left out. or Yeah, he felt left out in those uh, conversations. And you know, I, I've seen dynamics it. like that in bands, but I'm not going to get boring so, about it. I'll Keith, see you guys later. i got to run. Take uh, it easy, Jim. I'll talk to you soon, pal. Uh, cool, Keith, man. So this Keith Morasco, you know, he was a uh, – uh, you, were, you were a captain at the sixth precinct? He was the guy that uh, put the plunger in that guy's ass. He just oh, got yeah, out of jail, yeah, yeah, I yeah. swear. Is so, that guy out of jail, by the way? Uh, no, just, uh, 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 I don't Justin, think so. Justin, Justin Vol Volpe, 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 Justin Bieber, Volpe. Yeah. No, so he got into he yeah. was he was put in jail when I first started doing comedy. So yes. they were the jo those were the jokes at that time. They joked it's about that. They did. They joke joked about, about Louima. I tried to come up with some joke about if Louima had a personalized license plate that said plunger or something because he made all <laughs> no, that no, because no. he, he made all that money from the yeah, incident. But, but that was so maybe you could have this big car with the plate. That was That's his, hilarious. That, that was as close to a full-blown Nazi incident as we've oh, ever yeah, seen. Yeah. Anyway, Keith, Keith I, we're, here. we're just about out of time, but Keith, I don't know what you want to add to this, or is there something you, you want to talk about the, that we haven't spoken about to draw out of Anthony because you know him so well? Well, it is hard to jump in with uh, this much talent at the table. Ooh, oh, look at that. There was, but, lot, there was a lot of good riffing. Yeah. No, just, uh, now, you know, if we, uh, we were tasering people, he would be a pro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all my taserings happened right out here. Yeah, so they were all great. One of my favorites was uh, Keith pulled out the taser. This was at the uh, start of like a lot of these viral YouTube videos. And uh, what did you say to the guy? I always used to say I'd put the red dot on them and I'd say, "You're about five seconds away from being a YouTube video." <laughs> <laughs> and it would usually get people. It would usually get people to calm He down. mixed up classic police brutality with, with a new medium. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're ahead of your time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I get to see a different side of Anthony because I've been with him. Uh, not sexually, but you know, <laughs> uh, working alongside him with Opie and Anthony, and now what we do now since 1999. Jesus. And I've heard the the story you guys have talked about and everything that's happened with him. And the one thing I think that uh, you know, and you pulled pulled some of it out, but one thing when we have private conversations uh, about it, there's uh, you know, you asking a, a about how he felt about the whole. As opposed to, we talk about Abra Louim again. No, 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 no <laughs> about the specific person. And I, and I think you know, uh, speaking with him and talking about how it hurt people that we were, have been friends with for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that was that's my biggest regret of the whole thing is that it 
busted up some amazing relationships that I had uh, had with people over the years. Um, just amazing comics, people I've laughed with for years, and instantly overnight, it like fucked that whole thing up. And that I, I am I'm not blaming anybody but myself for that uh, aspect of it. Um, uh, because I kind of withdrew also. I never reached out and tried to talk to a lot of people about this. I'm not that guy. I don't do a lot of this personal talking with people, uh, uh, weirdly enough, because that's my job. But, uh, yeah, I think I could have been more communicative with a lot of uh, my friends to maybe head that off at the best. DeRosa is a prime example. Me Joe DeRosa. Me and Joe DeRosa. Is there another DeRosa? Well, to our audience, they may not know Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe DeRosa, uh, comic, funny guy. I love Joe. And we were on the outs for about a year because of this, because of that, that event uh, uh, when I got fired from Sirius. And we finally decided to talk on the phone. Within two seconds, we were laughing our asses off and calling each other assholes. And, like, the communication thing, and I've always chalked up uh, even the simplest of communication to psychobabble. I'm like, ah, just deal with it. Fuck that. Shut up. Uh, it works. Yeah. And I know it, it, it really does have some uh, value to it. And um, I think a lot of peripheral people, internet people and websites and, and whatnot, uh, uh, chat rooms, Twitter, social media, I think that had a lot of effect because they want to pit you against people. So unless you disavow or, or say, hey, leave him alone or don't do that, uh, people will read into what other people are saying about you and and to other people. So I think uh, there was a big misunderstanding with me and Joe DeRosa about um, what we felt about what happened. And again, the second we started talking to each other, it was all cool. Well, I've had that uh, insight as a boss when somebody was fed up and they wanted to quit. And, and, and very often I didn't want them to quit. I found that if you would meet with them, once they told you that they're fucking quitting and this is why they're fed up, they're like, uh, okay. You know, <laughs> as, you, soon, as soon as yeah. they actually said it, they lose the urge to quit. It's, it's like therapy. You say it and it disappears. I, I think it's so hard for people to actually be face-to-face -face these days and, and it's so valuable. When you talk to someone and look them in the face and actually say what you mean and what you feel and they give you a rebuttal back or, or whatever, it's so much different than texting it or putting it on social media. There's a, a cowardice that comes with that. And, and, and if you have to look at someone in the eyes and actually talk to them about a problem, um, it's not easy to do, first of all, but it's a thousand times better in the Can end. Can I tell you something else? I heard this somewhere recently that there's something called micro-expressions, which are the, the, the tiniest little things that humans pick up on in another human that we have, it's evolution. We have no idea that we're picking up on them. Yeah. And this is what happens when you speak face to face with somebody. You, you read something you're you, never going to get read their, You read their right. soul. You can read their soul wow. in a way you cannot do from text messages. So this is another reason. That, but what about an emoji? I think text messaging. <laughs> emojis you could help. send an emoji. But, but you know what? It's funny you say that because, <laughs> because that is part of the reason probably we, we rely on emojis. We need micro we, we need, emojis. We need, like, we need those <laughs> indicators. But, um, yeah, I, do t I think you interpret uh, text messages according to what mood you're in, too. I mean, if you're not feeling good about yourself, you'll, Isn't that amazing? You know, you'll just interpret it as a, a more hostile Dude, that's text awesome, because you, you're not the one changing the context of what the person sent. That's right. It's whatever they sent, they sent. That's what they meant. But depending on how you feel, you could read it in a whole nother light. That's fucking the most brilliant thing I've ever heard you say. Really? Yeah. But that, the <laughs> Actually, you didn't, let him, you, didn't, you didn't let him finish. <laughs> yeah, fuck it up. Come on. <laughs> All right. We're, we're out of time. Oh, I'm man. Trying, I'm trying to keep it to a, to a, to a solid hour. Um, listen, I, unless there's anything else you want to add. Oh, okay, no, Keith, no, so, Keith, you are currently, at this time, uh, armed. Is that correct? Uh, I, I, I am currently. What's your, yeah. what's your, what's your uh, uh, weapon of choice? The bodyguard 380. Let's say let's say this. He's not uh, too scared about his dick size carrying this gun. It's okay. the smallest little pea shooter. <laughs> it's dick size. It's easily concealed. I think How I got it for your birthday. Size. Not my something. dick, the gun. How about yeah, Jeff yeah. Bezos? Huh? This guy. This guy's not afraid of anybody seeing oh his dick. Oh my god! His di he loves it. He's got dick and balls. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, he is such a hero right now. 
Anthony, I shot a gun in Iraq, um, you know, a, a uh, M4 or whatever it was. Oh, nice. I didn't even really enjoy it, though. I guess it's just not for me. I guess oh, some people fun. love it and it's some loud. people... Well, I can see why you might enjoy it. It's like fireworks uh, with a kick. It's uh, it's fun. I did. I, sh I shot an automatic machine gun in, in Russia at a, at a, at a, at a Russian? shooting range. No. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, it's really fun. Well, it is fun. I, I, even when you see, like, really hardcore liberals and anti-gun people and stuff, when they get brought to a range and shoot, the first thing they do after the rounds fly out of the battle, they go, oh, man. They're, like, laughing like mental patients, thinking uh, it was awesome. By the way, has, any, a fun we have to go, has anybody pointed out, I, I, I thought of a kind of irony in the shower today. Has anybody pointed out the irony that liberals kind of brought... At least accelerated global warming when they went half cocked against nuclear power in the 70s. Like if we had actually gone on that trajectory of nuclear power in the 70s, I was maybe we wouldn't be in this mess. I was this just talking. The cleanest, most efficient energy is nuclear. But why don't we have it? Uh, liberals. Liberals scaring the shit out of everybody that it's going to be an atom bomb going off in yeah, your backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, and you guys both thought about this when you were in the shower. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I was just it. thinking of it too. I was like, "Why don't we have more nuclear yeah. power?" Oh, they, they shut it down. What was, what was that? What was that album when we were kids? Uh, 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 no nukes. No, it was no, the, the No, no nukes, nukes album yeah, yeah. with I mean, Jackson Brown and, and, and then uh, the the, uh, the um, Three Mile Island. Uh, yeah, what Three was Mile the name, what was the name Island movie with Jack Lemmon. And oh, the, oh Ch China Syndrome. China Syndrome. That was yeah. great. Yeah. So that that all that really shut nuclear power down. Yeah, and it's it, it's pretty safe uh, power source and uh, pretty efficient. But, it, it, but compared, uh, compared guess, to the end of civilization, yeah. we got to build eight billion windmills and somewhere. And now, now all the insects are dying. It's kind of scary. I mean, I have kids. I'm worried about. It. Anyway, that's I've been stung that. by a bee in years. So so Anthony. Thank you very much. Thank I, you, I, man. I, I, awesome. I hope it was all right. Absolutely. Um, Please. I had a blast. And uh, that's Good it. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.